So glad you're here with us at Crosspoint this morning. Uh, my name is Kyle. I am the high school pastor here at Crosspoint. And um, as I mentioned earlier when we were getting ready to take communion, today we are beginning a brand new series that we're calling Image of God. And so what we're going to be doing is we are going to be looking primarily in the book of Genesis and looking at what it means for who we are and what we do that Scripture calls us people who are made in the image and likeness of God. And so we're going to be looking at uh, what that implies of our life. What are the consequences of that title in our lives? And it's, it's, really, it's been really fun and difficult and awesome to walk through this as we've been preparing. Um, I said this last service, I feel like there's a need for like a slight disclaimer. Maybe it's because it's like kind of rainy outside, maybe everyone's feeling a little bit sleepy, but like we are about to consume like a big old bowl of theological like fettuccine Alfredo right now, all right? It is so good, but it's gonna sit kind of heavy, all right? So if you need to like give yourself a little shake or put to the edge of your seat or whatever, go for it. Um, this stuff is so meaningful and so important, but it is very, very rich. And we're trying to make sure that it's, uh, we kind of walk through it in bite-sized chunks as we um, wrestle with what it means to be made in the image of God. And I do believe that when we do that, we're gonna find that it imp impacts Ugh. It impacts our life to a great, great degree. Um, so if you've been around church at all, if you were raised in church, um, you've probably heard this term image of God before. Um, I was raised in the church. I grew up in the church. And I, I heard this term when I was young uh, and then gained a little bit more perspective on maybe what it meant as I started to grow up, then went to Bible college, maybe learned a little bit more. But I definitely had heard of it. It was part of like the vocabulary, part of like churchy vernacular, right? And even if you've come to Crosspoint, um, you've heard this term used at Crosspoint. Uh, I don't remember how long it was ago, maybe a couple years, we went through some material called Rescue Academy, and that may ring a bell to you guys. And we talked about the image of God in the Rescue Academy content that we went through. Uh, you might remember we talked about identity, and we had this big target and all these different things that weigh into who we are, but we discovered that deep down at like the core of that target, there are two things that are true of every person, no matter who you are, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. There are two things that are true of every single person, and that is that they are made in the image of God and deeply loved by Him. And so if you've been a part of this church family, like you've heard that term before as well. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, hey, this is kind of my first deal with church or I've been gone for church for a long time and I'm kind of coming back around. So, so excited you're here, by the way. Um, but you might be sitting there being like, listen, man, I have no idea what that means. I see those words on the screen, but like I have no clue like what that's supposed to mean. I kind of want to let you off the hook today because I feel like when push comes to shove, even us churchy people, we don't really know what this is trying to say. I think if we're honest, like a lot of us fall into that category. Like we've heard it, we've heard the term used a lot, but it's always been kind of fuzzy. Like we're not exactly sure what it means and what that means for our life. Um, have you ever been in one of those situations where maybe like you've been given a task or you've been asked to do something and you're like, okay, yeah, I can figure this out. I don't completely know what I'm doing, but like I can figure it out. And you get a few steps down the road and you're like, okay, I'm holding this all together. Then you get a few more steps down the road and you're like, uh-oh, things are starting to come apart. And then you get a few more steps down the road and you look back and you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. 
but I am way too deep in this to ask any questions now. Like, I just have to pretend like I know what's happening, like, up to this point. Has anyone ever been in that situation before? Like, oh, that, that kind of stuff happens to me all the time. And I'm going to tell you something that will probably make you think I'm a terrible pastor, whatever. Um, I'm super bad with names. I'm really, really bad with, like, remembering people's names. And this happens to me all the time at youth group where uh, I'll, I'll meet somebody, like say a kid rolls in on a Wednesday night and, and it's his very first time at Crosspoint Students. It's great, we celebrate him, we're so glad they're there. Say his name's Billy, because we don't have any Billies, so there's no like direct connection to anybody so that no one gets offended. But say there's like a Billy that comes to Crosspoint Students and I meet him and I'm like, hey dude, how's it going, da da da. Oh, your name's Billy, great, so glad that you're here. Uh, yeah, have a great night, we hope you really enjoy yourself, we'll catch up later. And I, I turn around and about two seconds later, I'm like, wait, what was that kid's name? Where like, oh, like instantly his name just like left my mind. Oh, okay, I'll catch him the next week. And then another week goes by and it's appropriate this week to say like, oh, hey, I, you know, I don't remember your name. Could you tell me your name again? That's fine. That's not offensive, right? And then a few more weeks go down the road, and I find myself still in the same spot, and I have to start working some tricks, pulling some tricks out of my sleeve to try to get this kid to say his name out loud so I can pretend like I knew it, right? Where it's like, Josh, introduce yourself to this guy. And they're like, oh, I'm Josh. Oh, my name's Billy. Oh, yeah, Billy. Of course, Billy. I knew that your name was Billy. So glad you're here with us, Billy. And then a few more weeks go down the line, and I'm standing on one side of the park cafe, and Billy walks in from the parking lot, and our, our eyes meet, and I start sweating, and I'm like, no, 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 don't come over here, don't come over here, I don't remember your name, this is, it's, we are too deep in this for me to not know your name, oh, he's coming over here, okay, all right, he's like, hey, Kyle, how's it going, so glad to be here, and I'm like, hey, man, how are you, buckaroo, so glad you're here with us tonight. And I'll, I'll be honest, like, I end up doing that stuff all the time. So you have been warned. Somebody did this to me between services where they came up and they were like, well, did you remember, do you remember my name? We've met before. And I was like, I feel like I made it pretty clear that I would probably not. So if, if you're a glutton for punishment, that's your deal, not mine, all right? So I'm not, I'm not taking credit for that. Um, so don't do that to me. It'll just be embarrassing for everybody. But that happens to me all the time, and I think probably that's a common experience that we have in lots of areas of life. And I feel like there are some theological truths, there's some parts of who God is that we do the exact same thing with. Like, we hear about it all the time, and if we're real honest, like, we don't exactly know what it means, but we look around and everyone else seems to kind of have a pretty good grasp on it, even though they don't. And so we just pretend like, oh, yeah, I know, I know what being made in the image of God means. It must, must mean we have some, like, shared characteristics or, or there's something that tethers us to God or connects us to God. And so, yeah, I, I know what it means, uh, even though it's still kind of fuzzy. And honestly, I've been there, but it's such a shame because the more that I've taken time to really, like, put time into this, to study this, to let God speak to my heart in this, um, it's been really, really like life-altering for me as I began to really understand what it means that we are created in the image of God. And the reason that I bring this up is one of our hopes for this series, like we have certain things, you know, that we really hope that people can walk away with. Um, one of the hopes for this series is to help us gain a little bit of like a bigger picture, a little bit of like a richer picture of what it means for you and for I to be made in the image of God. Uh, 
as Matt and Travis and I, we, we sat down, we were talking through this content, kind of deciding, you know, who was going to talk about what and what we wanted to make sure to hit on and all that sort of stuff. This phrase, like, kept coming up over and over again. I think it's a really helpful phrase as we talk through these, this issue of being made in the image of God, and it's this. This series is going to feel a lot like yes, comma, and type series. It, we're we're going to be confronted with some truth, and we'll be like, okay, yes, I know these things about what it means to be made in the image of God, comma, and there's some of this other stuff that maybe I hadn't thought about. And I think if we can walk into it with that kind of open-handedness, that yes, some of what I may have learned and some of what I may have thought will be absolutely true, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff maybe I'd never considered before that will give us such a bigger, richer picture of what it means and honestly has huge implications for how we live our lives, how we interact with God, and how we see ourselves. So let's set the stage here. Um, we're going to be spending uh, most of our time throughout this series in the book of Genesis. And in particular today, we're going to be reading Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 26 to 29. So you can go ahead and turn there if you have a Bible. Um, a physical Bible, that's great. If you have a digital Bible, that's great. Uh, if you want to grab a Bible from the information rack in front of you, that's great. Um, Genesis should be pretty easy to find. You just open the cover in like two pages and you're there, all set, ready to go. And we're going to be reading specifically verses 26 to 29. But as you get situated there... Let me just do a real brief, uh, like set the stage real briefly for the, the passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 is one that probably a lot of us are familiar with. It's the account of creation. It's the story of how God created everything. And I'll just tell you in kind of a, a quick paraphrase, in the beginning was God. God started talking and things started bursting into existence. That's pretty much how it goes, that in the beginning was God, and God created the heavens and the earth by speaking, and he separated the light from the darkness by speaking, and he hung all the stars in the sky with his words, and he, he burst mountains up out of the ground, and he filled the oceans with water, and he, he uh, made all the plants grow out of the ground, and he created all the animals, the animals that fly in the air and the animals that swim in the water and the animals that run on the land and even the gross animals that scurry along the ground, like God created all of these things with his word, just by his word. And each and every time he created something, he looked at it and he said, it's good. Now, this is really interesting. I had no idea about this until I started digging in and learning a little bit about the creation account. This story of creation that we read in Genesis chapter 1, the, the Hebrew account of creation, it's pretty unique. Um, so at this time, like when this was written, like the Hebrew nation would read this and then they would have a lot of things happening around them to compare it to, right? Like Genesis, the book of Genesis didn't like descend from heaven in the garden and then it was just there, right? This was a person wrote this down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. People read it and had a lot of stuff that was happening around them to compare it to. And so Hebrew people would have all these other neighbors from differing faiths and uh, people groups, and actually they all had their own version of how the world came into being. A creation narrative wasn't a unique thing. Almost every people group had some explanation as to how the world came to be, but the Hebrew account of creation was pretty different, and here's why. Almost every other story of creation, 
whether it be like Babylonian or Assyrian or the Amorites, like all these different people groups we read about in the Bible, um, almost every single one of them, the world was created or people were created out of one of two things, violence between the gods, multiple gods ticked off at each other, having conflict with each other, getting angry at each other, kind of duking it out and fighting, and then through their violence, through their conflict, through the bloodshed that would come through that, the world would come into being. It would be birthed out of pain and conflict and violence. It was either that or the other popular one was conflict between the gods and people, that the gods would either want to like cause problems or they had some kind of beef with the people, and then the conflict between the gods and the people is what created different things in the world. And almost every other account of creation was marked by either violence or conflict. What's really interesting is that we don't see either of those things with the God of the Bible. Neither one. No violence. We read about darkness, but we don't see it having any kind of conflict with God. He just separated it from the light. He wasn't threatened by it. It wasn't a problem. There's no conflict there. All that we see is God speaks and things start into motion. God speaks, and things start into motion. Later on in Scripture, in uh, Psalm 33, uh, it's a song that talks about God during creation, making the world, and it talks about him in royal language, that he is seated on a throne. He's enthroned above. He is looking down at the people, the world, and its inhabitants. And as we begin to read these different kind of different views of the creation story, we begin to get this really clear picture of who God is. He's this creator, God, singular, one, king. And this would really catch people. This would catch people's attention who are reading it at that time. It would make their ears kind of perk up because we're going to talk about this more in depth in just a second. But when a king spoke, when an earthly king spoke, things happened. If you were a king during that time and you said, I want a statue made, guess what? A statue would be made. Like if you were a king and wanted a person dead, they would be dead. If you were a king and wanted a a town conquered, the town would be conquered. They decided what was right, what was wrong, and what they said went. And we see here God depicted as a king, as royalty, speaking, and everything happened. Everything came to life. Everything was created. And so God is doing this like incredibly beautiful thing in making all of creation, all the best things you've ever seen in the world when you look around. God's creating all those things, all the most minuscule things that we never get to see but have so many intricacies. God is creating all of those things, and it's all good, and he's saying every single part of it is good. And then we get to verse 26, and at the culmination of God creating this world, he creates humanity. And here's what he says about him. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And there's this poem here. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we can take away from that poem that God created us in his image, right? He says it three different ways. Male and female, every single person in his image, in his likeness, God created them. Now we read that, 
today, 2019, um, in the culture and context that we live in, maybe with some of like the history that we've learned or some of the things we've learned about what it means to be made in the image of God, we read it and we're like, okay, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, that's great that we were made in the image of God. We must have some kind of link to him or some kind of tether to him. We must have some of his characteristics. That's all great. Cool. Love it. However, to put ourselves in like the cultural context of this, this would have been an absolutely revolutionary thought that humanity would be made in the image and likeness of God, this would be a revolutionary idea. This would blow people's minds at the time when they, re- when they read this. If you were alive at this time and you read this, it would blow your mind, and here's why. If you lived at that time, you were probably ruled over by a king. That's how the social structure, structure worked. And a lot of these kings claimed that they were divine. They claimed that they were gods, And that meant that they decided what was right and wrong. They decided what would happen. When they spoke, things would be created. Things would come into being. Um, They even referred to themselves as the image of God. And that meant that everybody else was, their whole life, their whole purpose was in service to these kings' whims and wants and desires. So, Again, put yourself in these people's shoes. You're some random dude that like has a farm somewhere and you happen to live like within the Babylonian kingdom. And you've heard that the king of Babylon, he claims that he's a god and he gets to decide what's right and wrong and he gets to decide what happens. Your best hope, honestly, the best thing that you can go for is you just, you just have your fingers crossed really hoping that he never notices you, ever. Because if he comes to you and he says, I want you to do whatever, you have to do it. You have to, because he's God. He's a God, and he claims that title for himself. And so obviously, it's painting this picture that these kings, they were pretty full of themselves, right? They thought they were pretty cool stuff, Um, even to the point where many of these kings, they would make statues of themselves for people to worship. And um, the Hebrew people, they actually had a word for these statues. Now, here's the deal. I'm no Hebrew scholar, like whatsoever. So if you're in the room, you're like, well, I know more about that than him. That's probably true. But I've taken some time to like look into this, and it's really fascinating and really helpful, I think, to us. The Hebrew people had this word to describe these statues that the kings would make of themselves for people to worship, and the word is selim. It translates in the Old Testament to idol or image. Now, this was a super common practice. This wasn't out of the norm. Um, people would make idols or sell them of whatever and they worship them. Uh, oftentimes it would be people, it'd be rulers, it'd be kings, but then in some cultures and contexts, they'd be uh, scenes of nature like the sun, the, the water, the trees, whatever. Um, sometimes it would be animals. There was Idol worship was rampant at the time, pretty much across the board of humanity when this was written, except for the Hebrew people when they were obedient. If you've ever read any of the Old Testament, you probably are like, wait, but I thought their deal was they were always worshiping idols, which is true. Um, They were disobeying God in that. But the Hebrew people were supposed to um, not have idols in their life. In fact, God actually told them, never make any image of me. So the question is, why? Why would God say that to them? When, When every other nation, every other king, they were doing this, why would God say that to them? Well, there's a couple reasons. The first is um, you can't boil down uh, the creator 
to just be represented by like one part of his creation, right? That's not a clear representation. It's not an appropriate representation of who he actually is that, that, that degrades him. But also, I had never thought about this, but it's so cool. It's also because they already exist. These images or idols of God, they already exist. Because that word selim, which we see pop up as the word for idol through much of the Old Testament, get this, is the same word that's used here in Genesis chapter one to describe us, to describe you and me. Crazy. Tim Mackey is this uh, Christian thinker. He's involved in something called the Bible Project, and it's a wealth of awesome information. We've actually shown some of their videos here. They do a great job of explaining scripture and, and how it all points to Jesus, and, and they do a lot of work on this whole idea of being made in the image of God. It's been very, very helpful as we've walked through this, and he talks about this idea that we are selim. We're described as selim in the Old Testament. He says it like this. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. Those images are you and me. So again, like put yourself in these people's shoes. Like all of your experiences that you have ever had with anyone saying that they are the image of God has been like a king or a ruler that rules through violence, that rules through conflict, one that uh, decides what's right and wrong, one you'd have no choice but to obey, one that calls all the shots, and one that is so obviously not you. But now, all of a sudden, the Hebrew Bible says, no, actually, you are the images of God. Not just the kings, not just the ones in power, every single one of you. In fact, that's what it means to be human. That's crazy to me. That's awesome. And it has huge, huge consequences for us. Because if we believe that this is true, it's going to change a lot about what we do, right? Like what we do always comes out of who we believe ourselves to be. If you believe yourself to be something, your actions are going to follow suit. That's just the way it is. That's the way it always is. It's going to change a ton about how we function if we really embrace this idea that we have been made in the image and likeness of God. And more than anything else, it's going to answer the question that I think I wrestle with more than any other question and the question that I see people wrestle with more than any other question. And it's wrapped up in different things, in different uh, wrappings or whatever. But the question that I get asked more than any other is, why am I here? What is my purpose? I bet every single person in this room has asked that question. Why am I here? I've been asked that question across coffee tables and over text messages and face-to-face. I've had that argument in my head like daily. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What was I created to do? And there's this whole spectrum of like motivations to that question all the way from like someone who's really hopeful about it, they're excited about it, they're excited for what the future may hold, and they're like, well, what am I here to do? Like, what's my purpose? Why am I here? I'm really excited about that. It could come from like a, a motivation of frustration, where it's like, man, I've been doing like the same thing forever, or seems like forever, and why am I here? What am I doing? Like, what is my purpose? Something feels like a disconnect here. All the way over to a much darker motivation that unfortunately I've, I've had to talk through with people especially teenagers, where they ask the question, why am I here? 
doesn't feel like anyone loves me, doesn't feel like I'm worthy of any kind of love. Maybe it'd be better if I even wasn't. See, I think so much of our dysfunction, so much of the tension we live in, so many of the problems that are put on us and that we inflict on ourselves come from an unresolved answer to that question. It comes from us not really knowing why we are here. We all want to know what our purpose is, and we go looking for it in a billion different places. And when it doesn't work out or when it doesn't seem to connect, we feel frustrated and we feel angry and we feel the tension of that. But I think throughout this series, and I think especially today, I hope we can get a picture of what our purpose actually is because God lays out exactly what we were made for. Isn't that so cool? We spend so much time trying to figure out what our purpose is. Page one, the first chapter of the Bible, tells us clearly what we were made to do. Read with me verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, here's your purpose, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. He's given it to them and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. Right here in two verses God tells us exactly what we were made to do, exactly what our purpose is. Why are we here? Mentions two things, to fill the earth and to subdue it. To fill the earth and to subdue it. Now, those are kind of churchy words. Can I paraphrase, maybe help us understand a little bit clearer? I think what God says here is your purpose is to make more and rule over. Make more people who recognize that they are made in the image of God and rule over the creation that God has put into order. That's what he told humanity from day one. Go make more images of me and lead this world. Subdue it, tend to it, rule over it, because you have been given that task and that responsibility, and because you are made in my image and my likeness, you actually can do that. You have what it takes to do that, and in fact, you should. I think it's just such a great summary of what our purpose is, like laid out in these first few pages. It's that God created us, listen to this, created us to come alongside him and do more of what he is doing. That's why God made us, is to come alongside him and do more of what he is doing. That that's, looks like harnessing the raw potential that God put into the world for this phrase that you're going to hear over and over again over the next few weeks, for human flourishing, for the human race to get better and better. That's why we were made. That is our purpose. Taking that which is good, but is also wild and untamed, and bringing it into order just like God did. This is why he puts us over the animals and over the plants to harness the good that they are and ensure the flourishing of life moving forward. That this good that God created is really just the beginning. And he wants us to be a part of it moving forward. And what's crazy to me is that this was before there were any bumps in the road, there was any sin in the mix. This was before sin was a part of it. This is still the purpose that he gave us to accomplish, to make more of and to rule over. But there is a need, I think, to clarify something. If we're really going to understand this, I think there's a need to clarify something. And that, that's what our definition of ruling over is. 
Because if, if you're sitting there and you're listening, you're like, okay, my purpose is to rule over the planet, that might make you really excited, and then there's a different set of issues we need to talk about, or it might make you like really uncomfortable. Because our picture that we've been given of anyone who's risen to like the top levels of, of power, like they're not good people, right? What's that, what's that saying? Like absolute power corrupts absolutely. We have seen that, and, and that has been proven to be true every single time. And so we look around and we see people ruling this world. Maybe we look through history and we see how kings rule. Maybe we look in currently and see how people with great authority and influence rule. And they rule using violence and they rule using conflict and they rule using oppression. They rule with selfishness and self-interest. How could that be representative of who God is? And now there's a reason why that's the only picture we ever see. And honestly, that's what we're gonna be diving into next week. So you're gonna have to come back. I said this first service. This is one of those series where I really do feel like if you, if you miss a week, you're gonna miss like a lot. So try to be here for each and every one. And if you miss it, like at least go watch it because literally I'm ending on a cliffhanger this week and one next week. I don't know what Travis is doing, but I have two cliffhangers coming your way over these next two weeks, all right? So it's really important so that we can tie these different weeks together. There's a reason why we only ever see like one picture of what it looks like to rule and it's a pretty sketchy picture. But that's not what God is saying when he calls us to rule over this world that he created. He defines it differently. How? In the life of Jesus. In the life of Jesus. Where we see some people, even the kings of the time ruling through fear, oppression, violence, we see God ruling by serving. We see Jesus as king of this world being marked by compassion, being marked by care for other people, being marked by mercy, being marked by service, and even being marked by sacrifice. We're created to rule, but ruling God's way is marked by, by serving and putting other people before ourselves, committing ourselves to the benefit of those around us, giving of ourselves. And does this sound kind of familiar? Because it should because the last three weeks, this is exactly what we've been talking about. To rule God's way in this world is to rule where it is began and ended in love. Real love, the type of love that we've spent the past three weeks talking about. Ruling's God, ruling God's way is built on a faith and trust relationship with God. When we read about Adam and Eve before sin entered the world, they were given everything that they needed. Every single thing that they needed to fulfill this purpose that God has placed on their life was given to them. All they did was receive it. There's no taking in scripture until sin, sin enters the picture. We're gonna talk about that next week. But there's no taking that shows up in the Bible until sin enters the picture. Everything was given to them. They received it and they turned around and they gave it back out to contribute to human flourishing. So this paints a really cool picture to me because I, I've had this in my head and maybe you have too, um, where when I think to the garden, when I think to what life was like before sin, uh, I just kind of thought it was like Christian vacation like all the time. 
Like, honestly, like, I kind of thought that it was, uh, if, if sin wasn't a part of this, then we would just kind of all be sitting around doing nothing, kind of enjoying ourselves. Like, I have this picture in my head, and maybe you do too, where, you know, God comes down to the garden, and maybe he's got, like, a hat on or a Hawaiian shirt just to, like, really sell the, the whole vacation vibe. I don't know. But he comes down, and he sees Adam and Eve, and he's like, hey, guys, look, I brought a couple lawn chairs, plopped them down. Here's a few cups of iced tea. Man, you just sit there, relax, do nothing. You can just watch me do my thing because honestly, you can't be trusted to do it anyway. So I'm gonna continue to make more and more good in this world, but you just kind of sit over there and wait and do your thing. And, the, and, and that, that idea like dug its way, weaseled its way even to how I think about how I live my life now. That somehow I would equate that the more and more I got close to Jesus, the more like Jesus I became, the less I would do. And that is 100% wrong. That is a lie. Right from the beginning, I want us to understand this. God gave us a purpose that would take up a ton of our time, but is the best, most fulfilling thing we could possibly be doing. Now, here's the cool thing. Sin enters the picture. That's not cool. That causes tons of problems, but the purpose that God has given us has never changed. Even though sin exists in the world now, your purpose as people who are created in the, in the image and likeness of God, your purpose is to make more and to rule over for the benefit of human flourishing. That's our, that's our purpose. Now, that should be really exciting news for us because that purpose can be applied no matter what you do or where you are. Like, <clears throat> could you imagine how different your life would look if you looked at every single thing that you did and applied your big, overall, overarching purpose that God has given you to each and every one of those things. And in fact, that's what I would encourage us to do. Like I said, it's kind of a cliffhanger situation, but I do want to give you one thing as we walk out of here. One thing that we can do throughout the course of the week that I think can set us up the next time we gather together and talk a little bit more in depth about this. And I would encourage you to look at the different parts of your life as you go through this next week and ask yourself, how might it look different if I was embracing the purpose that I was created to accomplish? Let me give you a couple examples. I have four kids. Our house is busy, very busy. And by the end of the day, sometimes it just feels like, oh, they're finally all in bed, and I'm just going to crash, and the day's over, and that was awful, but hey, we're done. Like, honestly, sometimes that's what it feels like. How different would my family look? How much, how much different would the context look if I looked at each of those situations, the good ones and the hard ones, but instead of just trying to get through them or see them as a frustration, I'm like, okay, these are opportunities to help these little ones reflect their creator. What a different approach. It could apply to your businesses that you're a part of. It can apply, if, if you're a teacher, it applies to your classrooms. If you're a parent, it applies to your kids. If you're uh, a businessman, it applies to your business. It, it applies to the interactions that we have with one another. It, it even applies to like the super frustrating conversation you might be having on the phone with like a tech support person. Every single thing that we do, our purpose should be at play in. And when we do that, we're actually becoming more human than we've ever been before. So I would really encourage you this week to be thinking through those different things, kind of take stock and ask the questions, hey, am I living my life with the purpose that I was created to accomplish or am I living it for something else? We'll come back here next week, we'll dig in even more deeply and we'll, we'll figure out why it seems like there's so much tension in how we live and how God has called us to be. Would you guys pray with me and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Jesus, thanks so much for who you are. 
Uh, God, we just ask that this week, as we take some time to think through what you made us to do, Lord, that we would recognize that that is like 100% connected to who we are. Doesn't matter if we're employed or unemployed, doesn't matter if our life is together or it feels like a mess, doesn't matter if we have family or don't, it doesn't, like our circumstances don't matter in this. What matters, God, is that you have made us in your image and likeness to look like you, but also to act like you and partner with you in this world. Man, thank you so much for letting us be a part of that, for entrusting us with that. And God, I pray that we would do that in a way that honors you. Pray that we would lead out of humility, that we would lead out of sacrifice, that we would rule over this world, not with our own interests in mind, not out of arrogance, not out of self-seeking like desire, but instead, Lord, to help make more images of you and to contribute to every single one of us flourishing. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you're gonna show us these things throughout this week. Lord, I pray that we would have the eyes to see them. We love you in your awesome name. Amen.